You're listening to The Film Sommelier with Caleb Brown, a production of The Story Locker. Pour yourself a glass of wine, sit back, relax, and enjoy the insights into your favorite films. Today, we're tasting Pixar's The Incredibles. Welcome to the Film Sommelier Podcast with Caleb Brown and his brother Ben Brown. I am your liaison, Charlie Dice, once again bringing you the subtle notes and flavors that you wouldn't catch in movies if you weren't paying attention, if you didn't have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Uh, we are continuing our discussion of the movie The Incredibles and some other projects that we have going on to go along with our Incredibles uh, Shortcuts episode. And the point of Shortcuts is to highlight some of the salient portions of films. Uh, Caleb, what did you envision when you first created, had the idea for Shortcuts? Uh, what was the idea to, 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 to highlight in films? or to, What is the point of Shortcuts? Well, it started out as an idea of cliff notes, but for serial television shows. And, like, I was... My, I was uh, overwhelmed by the number of quality, long-form TV shows and wanted something that could get me caught up to speed. I didn't have 80 hours or 100 hours to watch all of The Sopranos, but I wanted to know what people were talking about. So I pitched this idea. It wasn't called Shortcuts at the time. The TV Guide Network. They kind of liked it, and then I got fired. So, uh, and then... When I came to the Bay Area and started working for the Story Locker, pitched the idea again and found the name Shortcuts. And that was the idea. It was like summarizing television shows, but I couldn't help but start applying some of my theological, philosophical training and just diving into like, instead of like summarizing the action, getting into how is it doing what it's doing to us? That's more interesting. and there's a philosopher named Slavo Žižek uh, who says a lot of dumb things. But one smart thing that he says is that movies are a perfect reflection of a culture's values. And so we, you don't have a story if you don't have values. And so stories become a very interesting artifact for um, reverse engineering or... Um, yeah, deducing a culture's values, and I think that makes it an interesting anthropological tool. Uh, but also, it, it it draws in a broader framework that most filmmakers and and people who who write for a living aren't necessarily attending to. So the point of shortcuts is to get you to think about how you watch movies turning a passive act into an, an active act. Uh, my brother was telling me about this thing called the cookie diet, where it promises, yeah, you can you can lose weight by just eating cookies. And, but the diet is really, you know, you exercise for multiple hours a day and eat, eat any cookies. So it's like a kind of way of getting you in, getting you to do the virtuous thing while allowing you to do this unvirtuous thing. And so I guess uh, I'm thinking shortcuts is like... Um, watch movies to gain wisdom so it's like oh i can just uh sit down and tune out and i will become wise and yes you can become wise by watching movies but um only if the movies kind of if you look 
through them and past them and allow them to direct you back out towards the world where you will read books <laughs> and have conversations and experiences. Okay, so you mentioned your background in theology and philosophy, and I want to come back to that. But first, Ben, tell us more about the cookie diet. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, you can lose a lot of weight in the cookie diet uh, paired with diet and exercise. Good diet and exercise. You can you can eat all the cookies you want. It's just nothing but, it's not nothing but cookies. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, you got to gotta have a good diet and exercise. I was misinformed. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's like, like you said, like, yeah, you can enjoy the cookie. As long as you're also like doing the work, you know, like for the shortcuts, it's the intellectual work of like, yeah, mulling it over and conversations and reading books and, you know, making connections. Like, uh, what's the what's the fourth level of reading in the How to Read a Book? Oh man, um, great book by the way. Yeah, Mortimer Adler. It's a classic. How to Read a Book. The actually, I mean, another tributary to the shortcuts was a lecture series that I had called How to Watch a Movie inspired by how to read a book and so yeah you know everyone thinks they know how to watch a movie and in some ways you do but uh, yeah if you can think about movies the way the directors and, and writers think about movies then you're gonna see a whole another uh, world you can taste the tannins and the yeah and the fruity notes yeah yeah hmm taste the butter and the cookies yeah or maybe <laughs> salt and butter and sugar are always delicious. Yeah. And the copper and the oak. So just to quickly recap the cookie diet, which has cookies parallels always. to our film watching, is All right. you can eat as many cookies as you want as long as you also eat the fish salad along with it. And if you are watching movies, it might help if you have some kind of companion literature or uh, study intentional aids. And yeah. if you don't have time to read you know, the whole book, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe... We can give a sort of summary with these shortcut episodes, some concise philosophical or theological point that uh, comes across in just five, ten videos. I'm trying to do the incredibles. And a lot of time that I think with Caleb, we were feeling over the outline. I'm trying to get it to have a soul. So when we talk about a piece of writing or a piece of art having soul, um, what, do you, what do you think that means? And what was talking in your, in your outline before you were satisfied with it? Plot and soul of the drama, and the plot. You know, there are dissertations on this question of what it means by that, but basically, it's it's, it's just like in it's, uh, it's, soul. it's the thing that makes it this thing versus that thing um, that makes it one. And so, yeah, well, we've uh, we have like you know an an embarrassing amount of good things to say about the Incredibles, but finding which things. Uh, are called for right now is is hard um, especially for a, for a kind of a first public episode because we don't yet entirely know who our audience is uh, we know who we want it to be so yeah so really I think context and and like j just like a movie you know a little video essay that would go up on YouTube is also a part of like a conversation that's going on and so one tip is to figure out, all right, what are the conversations that are going on and and try and throw in your piece without, you know, backtracking and or or acting like you haven't listened to what somebody else just said. So that's one way of looking for the soul. Yeah, that makes sense. That meshes with my understanding of especially Twitter, I think, which is a very fast paced platform where, you know, a tweet that might totally fall flat 
one day, the next day, if it just strikes the right note or is part of the zeitgeist, then it will get retweeted a million times and ride this wave of... Uh, so tapping into that zeitgeist, if you had to say, what's your hypothesis for what the moment right now is that The Incredibles addresses or... Um, and related, who's the audience that is having a conversation right now where you think that you have something to say that uh, is not being said or is not being said well in a unified kind of way? In a servicey way, anybody who wants to watch Incredibles 2, I think, is going to be a little interested in like our analysis of why they like the first one. Or, and maybe it's just a personal one. Maybe it's like, this is why I like The Incredibles. What do you think? Um, but that's not super powered. So I think uh, looking back on The Incredibles with a 2018 lens, it's hard not to see it from the perspective of uh, yeah, gender politics and um, uh, frustrated masculinity and, um, and the haves and have-nots and the violence that they do to each other uh, in either direction. This is kind of like what's front of, front of the mind. And yet, you know, a movie that was made um, over a decade ago, you can kind of see echoes and, uh, and stuff that's even more relevant now than maybe it was in the past. So I think, it, yeah, the golf ball I'm trying to hit is that the trailer for Incredibles 2 seems to actually go take one step deeper in the gender politics thing. Hmm. So the, the, the premise is that Helen gets a shot at being the public face of a let the supers be super again campaign. And it's Bob who has to stay home and do all the home stuff. And this switch uh, is, of course, is, of course, going to present challenges to Bob. So, if that's at, if that's the heart of Incredibles two, it really is just in a further extension of what I've seen in Incredibles one, and so I, I want to kind of direct people's attention who are interested in that kind of stuff. That look, that's this is present in the first film, and what are they going to do in the second one? It may be, is it going to be? We're going to go one step deeper with the same idea, or are we going to contrast it with another one? These are the things I'm interested in. Frustrated masculinity. I think that's the first time that that term has come up in any of our conversations. Uh, and you mentioned beforehand that you think you sort of found the soul. Does that fit in with what you were talking about is what's what's missing? Or was that a separate insight that you had? Uh, yeah, like the... Uh, you feel, I think you found the soul of a video essay when you can really summarize it in a short phrase mm -hmm. and um, the phrase that I came to for the big idea for this one was um, you know this movie is great because of its big idea and basically having a big idea is what makes a movie great hmm. and so my read of the big idea in The Incredibles and it's not my read it's like Brad Bird's words talking about the tension between the mundane and the fantastic Mm -hmm. And it's clearly Bob Parr who incarnates that struggle most um, completely. And 
you know, well, damn it if, like, frustrated masculinity doesn't apply to Bob Parr. That's right. kind of his whole thing. So it's kind of like, and it's it's an empathetic portrait. You know, the first half of the movie, you're like, oh, please, this is so terrible. Like, get him out of that office job. Like, why does he have to pay attention to dumb crap at home? Like, he's an amazing person. Let him do amazing things. And then by the middle of the movie, you're having a different feeling of like, oh, well, there's a... It's a flip side to this. Like, he's he's been neglecting real things for for this fantasy, and uh, it, it's going to have real consequences. And so this is also so it's kind of like empathy for frustrated masculinity, as well as like a kind of like a thought about maybe there's a reason for this frustration that is your fault <laughs> too, which is slightly embarrassing. Um, and then kind of showing through Helen one possible route of escape from that frustration. Hmm. This question is for either of you. Do you think that there's a sense in which men, by trying to be what they think that women want them to be, sometimes shoot themselves in the foot, but at the same time when they neglect any sort of pursuit of of an authentic masculinity then it is you know equally or you know it's in another way uh off-putting so i mean how, how does this finding the mundane and the fantastic or do, paying attention to details and doing small things well how does this speak to or remedy the situation of frustrated masculinity hmm. i guess whenever you like uh yeah put out the idea of you know, men trying to be a certain way, like imagining that outside eyes want them to look or be a certain way. I guess I think of like two guys. Uh, one being the guys that's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I guess like, it's like, I, I guess uh, masculinity has a problem. You know, they see chauvinism or, uh, uh, you know, this like historical bent towards, uh, like masculinity as like a dominant force is like it's like okay it's like well then maybe girls want a nice guy and a and like uh, they want a guy to be sweet and pay attention to all their needs and they become um, an ally yeah yeah an ally but like <laughs> I think those guys are frustrated because usually they find that that's not attractive to women mm. and so they go like no oh, I'm trying everything to like it's like is this not what the culture wants me to be is like the nice guy and like it's like I'm not uh you know trying to dominate you like it's like it's like yeah come on isn't this what you want and it's like like usually that's not the case and then I think you can got it like I, I think of that as one one of the possible guys and then the other end of the spectrum is guys that's like nothing but working out and they've got like manorexia that their muscles aren't big enough when they look in the in the mirror and they you know they're spending you know a whole work week in the gym uh trying to like gain a figure and they're like you know watching videos for like how to uh nag a woman and like uh try to like make them feel bad about themselves so that they'll sort of outward like, signs of dominance date. yeah or, or the the alpha male yeah yeah kind of like this like swing of the spectrum like no no guy you know guys that are nicer 
it's blank <laughs> and, the, and it's like that's not what women want like they want men and they you know all this kind of stuff and I think it's yeah it becomes really hard to kind of navigate like where to be because uh, I think like there is like a men should be strong and they should be confident and I, I think it it really gets like a, a man can get attractive kind of in the middle road which is like the um like you need to have charisma you know you need to you need to be strong but you also need to care and then you also uh, i think it's i think it's like it's, it becomes most attractive when a man has like a life's work like a life's purpose and like his attention matters and means something and then uh, you know when a woman comes along you know it's she's not your everything and she's not like all of your attention 100% it's like when your when your attention like mean, needs to be on a work, but you still willingly give it to somebody. Like I don't know, your attention needs value before giving it to somebody like means something. Uh, where if like your life's work and everything you want is just a a mate, like I don't know, it seems worth less than um, somebody who has something to do. <laughs> hmm. So that's so. What I'm that was that, say, that was a lot of unpacking. Yeah. What I'm hearing <laughs> you say is, uh, is that the value of a man's attention is determined by the the value of the work he does, and that the opportunity his, cost in a way. And so, like his willingness, yeah. So the attention that he then directs to a woman comes from the attention that he devotes to his work. That's what I'm hearing you say. I would say, yeah, if you're... I guess it depends on, like, how valuable your attention is. So if, like, your attention and all of your goals is just, like, to a woman, I think that that is less valuable than, like, if you're really pursuing, like, a, a belief and a work and something to go for. And therefore, like, yeah, your attention... Basically, yeah, it's, like... Your attention needs to have a value to it, whether it's high or low. And, like, you can almost determine how much you love something by, like, use, like spending that attention. Like, so it's like if, it, if your attention is valuable, spending it somewhere can, like, be a proof of love. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, sounds like a separate podcast. That is a different podcast. <laughs> Let's see. Well, The Incredibles 2 in particular is going to explore more of this theme of what happens when uh, when a man gets sort of uh, phalaroped. There's a bird where the uh, the female takes the, the, the place of the man, or I, I don't know exactly. Phalarope. It, it's, it's some... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, no, I'm I see what you're saying. They're... they're they're changing social sexual dimorphism or something. It's it's where yeah, that's uh, the it. females are larger and more brightly colored than males. The females pursue and fight over males, then defend them from other females until the male begins incubation of the clutch. Males perform all incubation and chick care while the female attempts to find another male to mate with. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know if that's what you know. I, two I, is just uh, to, I, yeah. To speak unguardedly, it's like I hear that, and I'm like, I would rather burn the world down than live in that world. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, uh, that's that's how I feel, and yet 
um, and yeah, I don't know. Is uh, yeah, I'm I'm torn. Is it like okay? Um, I mean, one of the one of the most eloquent writers about frustrated masculinity is Nietzsche, who's um, some ways wise, some ways a, like a uh, he's like he's like the, the oldest Twitter troll there ever was. It's just like yeah. Nietzsche, Nietzsche. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. What was his medium? How was he reaching people? <laughs> he spoke on aphorisms. It was just okay. like really short, punchy, pithy things. Did he write pamphlets or was it just books? He'd write books that nobody could really finish because hmm. it was like you'd read, you'd read five pages and you'd be like, oh, my head's spinning. Like, and what is this about? Uh, yeah. But he writes, he wrote really well. And one of his main things was like, Christianity is ruining the world, turning us all into women. The masculine virtues, they have no value anymore. They look at ancient Greece, like how beautiful. And, um, and you know, I was hearing Ben talk about like, um, what was it, manorexia and like yeah. big muscles mm. and looking, and it's like, all that stuff is purely ornamental now. Mm -hmm. There was a time when your ability to wield an axe in battle was really relevant for mm -hmm. your life and for the life and health and wealth of your family. No longer. Like, it's a totally different environment. Um, and so, is like, in some ways, yeah, the value of the, the traditional masculine traits uh, have been going down since industrialization and, uh, and maybe even the internet. And so, what then defines masculinity? Uh, are we interchangeable with women? Or in some ways, are we inferior to women? in this new environment and um and is is a man's role now more domestic um at the same time like yeah uh my father my wife's father like both of them feel like they missed out on a lot by not being at home and just being at work hmm. most of their lives um, <clears throat> contrast that with their fathers who were probably on a farm uh splitting time between work and, and family life and not yeah not feeling any tension there yeah I mean maybe is part of the problem just that too many aspects of our lives are sort of domesticated so at least maybe you in the farming case you were near your home and so you would have more family time or it was it was sort of laborious but it was outdoors it was in the yeah. wild you were teaching your sons how to do the things that your father taught you. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got this quote here from uh, a, a movement, kind of a movement, I guess you could say guru or someone who, who uh, has, has tried to popularize a more outdoor kind of rewilding style of, of workouts. And he says, our workouts are domesticated. Well, the world out there is still plenty wild. In a pinch, can a man put gym generated biceps and tank tread abs to any real use? Could it be that our treadmill running, elliptical gliding, well-oiled Cybex world has turned us into show dogs who can't hold our own in the hunt? So, show dogs. Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> the guy who gets extremely buff at the gym, he might, yeah. you know, he might look great, but... Uh, can he climb a tree? Can he climb a tree? <laughs> <laughs> can he catch a ferocious well, dog as, running down the street? <laughs> uh, well, uh, as, as a kind of like devil's advocate, it's like, how useful is it to climb a tree? Right mm, now? Yeah, that's true. Like That's we have true. bucket trucks, well, we have yeah. professionals. We pay to go up there safely. Yeah, on more trees than any mortal can climb in one single day. Right. So, um, is there anything of of a physical root 
mm-hmm. that can define masculinity in the future? I say no. <laughs> I say yes. I say, I say there are many things. <laughs> I think like the value of that becomes like just rarity. It's like mm. If it's rare, I guess uh, it needs to be uh, rare and valuable, yeah, rare yeah. and useful. Yeah. But like you know, it's like like before you know if before whenever it was like you know middle ages like if you were fat and pale you were a king yeah. <laughs> so that was like rare and valuable but now it's like <laughs> that's a that's common man place you know it's easier to eat at mcdonald's and sit inside like so now the like show of value is is like the opposite like tan and chiseled it's funny yeah you show the amount of leisure that you have by how much time you get to spend outdoors like yeah. biking and running yeah, like that's yeah. the new signal of wealth. Of, yeah, being part of the leisure class. <laughs> How funny! Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, how does Bob Parr? <laughs> which, uh, yeah, I mean, is, is he defining masculinity? Is I, I like? I guess in the beginning, it's like it's just pure strength, pure like getting stuff done. Which is like person, person in trouble, I save them, <laughs> and it's like. This is like a if-then simplest like equation, you know, like guy getting beat up in the alleyway. I should just jump out the window and help him. Like it's like dude falling out of a building, didn't see that coming. Jump, let's catch him. And then it's like this, uh, yeah, like getting tasks done. And especially with you know, he, I mean, he's he's the personification of physical strength. Um, this seems like. There's a, it seems like there's a new trope out there, which is the bumbling superhero. And Bob Parr isn't quite that, but I did notice on a recent rewatching of The Incredibles that the first scene, the first action scene, the, the villain is a guy who's robbing a bank. So, you know, he's going to blow up the vault and take all the money inside. Those deposits are all insured, so everyone's keeping their money. There's no real havoc being done <laughs> until Bob comes, you know breaking through the glass and then uh, he gets embroiled in this other issue with the the kid who goes on to become the new supervillain um and they, they you know they roll out bob crashes through the, the the train track and he ultimately has to save the people on the train from damage collateral damage that he's caused yeah. so the sort of esoteric interpretation of the incredibles might be that our you know superpower is on the whole are not what the world really needs and you know maybe maybe more what we need is to to just learn to is insurance. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we need more. We need more insurance. Uh, insurance is the real superhero. The, the opinion does everything a superhero does. <laughs> it's just less dramatic. Exactly. The, the opinions of individuals in this podcast does not necessarily reflect the opinions of shortcuts. The story locker. Or story locker as a the whole. Film sommelier or Charlie Dice personally. We're just pitballing here. Wait for the official release. Um, so, yeah, so I described the, like, the only one side of the kind of frustrated masculinity piece and, like, Nietzsche's, like, blaming of Christianity for the end of men, uh, and, yeah, Hannah Rosen wrote a book, uh, exactly titled that, The End of Men, um, the future's female, like, yeah, a lot of it having to do with the end of all, of, like, any jobs that meant you needed muzzles for them uh, to mm. do them well. That those are, yeah. And that men are not, 
the, the men they're going to make it are going to have to transition to the more service economy jobs that they've sneered at in recent years, like nursing and education. And, um, uh, yeah. So, I, so, so it, is it, is it becoming a, the fact that masculine and the traditional masculinity is no longer as much in demand. Is that a sign of an improving world? Or is it a sign of our deficient under, def, definition of what it means to be masculine? Um, I like to think the world is getting better. The fact that, you know, I don't need to know how to shoot a gun to protect my family is probably a good thing. Um, and, uh, but then where, where does this, uh, where does this um, competitive advantage, this gender-based competitive advantage, um, leave me when it has no need so maybe and this is controversial but there is some science behind it uh, there is there's a case for like a masculine way of thinking versus like a yeah um martian or there, there's a really interesting guy named is it william sneed wrote something called the alphabet and the goddess and it was about oh maybe the reason uh, Western world is so patriarchal is because uh, using Marshall McLuhan's theories um, the print the print medium privileges a masculine mode of thinking versus uh, an image image based context based uh, way of thinking uh, that preliterate societies were more likely to uh, worship goddesses and blah blah hmm. um so, this this struck me as an interesting thing. Uh, and I don't know what it recommends. Does it in our post literate, uh, media rich environment? I, I I've already seen two cycles of this. It's like, yeah, uh, in some ways, yeah, the men who uh, neglect the reading don't do as well, <laughs> uh, and yeah, have no sort of advantage. Uh, and then yeah. There was in, you know, like 90s in particular, like the heyday of uh, lots of media uh, sucking up the attention of uh, young men in particular. Um, and then, yeah, and then the rise of the internet and coding. It's like coding is kind of like, yeah, we're using screens, <laughs> but we're using print and text mm -hmm. on screens. And so it's, it's, it's again, like, masculine dominant mode of uh, like a medium and that's you know this is like perhaps some of the meat behind the complaints of like there's not many women coders like is there structural bias or as James Damore suggests like maybe there's something about coding that is just more you know natural to a male brain uh, the William Schneiderwin's book is it Schneiderwin? Ah, Alphabet and the Goddess is the name of the book Basically, he's like a feminist author who is coming up with principles that recommend what James Damore is saying about programming, is all I'm saying. But, so, I guess if I was to step out on a limb, and Charlie, I need your permission if you're ever going to use this podcast. <laughs> or, you need my permission, there we go. <laughs> but it's like, I do think there is a, I think there is something there is a competitive advantage to having a masculine brain and that advantage is focus I think 
we we are we do have a uh, a neurological makeup that should make it easier for us to focus on one thing for a long time, specialize and just be awesome at it hmm. and persevere in one thing for a long time. Uh, in fact, uh, un PC as this is the and when Thomas Aquinas was writing, um, there was a vice called effeminacy, which which was the vice of kind of like being easily disturbed from what you were trying to do. Hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, whether whether it's by, oh, the, the environmental conditions aren't good enough, or, you know, my, my indigestion, my, my stomach hurts a little bit, or, um, yeah. Uh, or, I'm worried about this other, I'm worried about what this person thought of me uh, when I had this interaction, like, yesterday. Like, <laughs> all, all these tiny little things that derail focus had the name effeminacy hmm. in Thomas Aquinas's moral theology. And, in, in, yeah, and so you can see, like, a brain that takes in everything all at once, uh, which is what having a non-severed corpus callosum does for you as a woman, like, yeah, you, you are not missing anything, and that's great. Um, but if you want to focus on one thing for a long time, you have to... You have to ignore most things. So, right. So maybe the best way to say it is like the dubious male advantage is the ability to ignore. That's hmm. what we can do better. Hmm. <laughs> and I think women would agree <laughs> in sober moments. Yeah. In a non-politically charged climate. <laughs> <laughs> non-politically. I think the word advantage can only be used in like small contexts. Like, yeah. Like yeah. specific jobs or specific tasks like true advantage or like the best the best is having both Um, and then like it it probably just can't be done with one brain so it's like mm. it's probably the ultimate is like having somebody who sees everything and then having somebody who like can like only see a few things like somebody has a floodlight somebody has a spotlight yeah nice and it's probably just yeah better together so what I'm seeing is through like distraction and I don't know coddling, like through like a really uh, nice environment with zero threats. Like I, I see, uh, yeah, I think I think men are getting worse at ignoring things. <laughs> we're we're being asked to not ignore things, <laughs> and so that yeah, and so now to go back to like the relational thing. Now, like, like now you have a floodlight and a floodlight in a relationship with one another, and it's like, why do I need your floodlight? It's not even as bright as mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, then you might as well be just the a male anglerfish. Exactly. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> yeah. You want to? We could, we could do it. Audience. Oh, do we need to do that, or just yeah, have yeah, an image please. in the bottom of the footnotes? Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, the. Do you know this? No. Male anglerfish. So the female anglerfish is is larger and more menacing, and it's it's the one you think of with the like. The like light, yeah. light antenna teeth. and yeah. big old ugly and big old teeth, like formidable thing to like bump into in the dark. The male anglerfish is a little tiny guppy guy, and uh, his whole life is to like swim as this guy. And then as soon as you find a lady, he uh, he bites her, and then he like fuses his head to her, and then like you know dissolves his brain, and then now he is just a pair of gonads. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow, we've got some fascinating <laughs> biological <laughs> analogies going from the, the phalarope to the anglerfish. I had no idea that nature was so messed up and bizarre in so many ways. Oh, there's, there, there's more. <laughs> yeah. Larry, Larry, can you tell you? Yeah. There's this, uh, there's this fish where the female uh, inserts her penis into the male's vagina and sucks out the sperm. Now, at that point, what? Okay, so I guess there are certain. There's still so certain... that that points to yeah. like what defines male and female is actually the size of the uh, reproductive cell. Hmm. So the larger cell is the egg, the smaller hmm. is the sperm, and that's what defines. The species. That's, so, yeah. that's the definition. So, of gender. so because of that definition in biology, at least, yeah, it's possible for the uh, yeah the the one with the larger gamete to have a penis and still be female. Yeah, well, I'm just scanning some of the uh, trending on Twitter headlines. My life is a lie. <laughs> I've got to say, I think we have tapped into something of the zeitgeist here. I'm just looking at the trending stories on, on Twitter, and I see there's man unexpectedly becomes cat dad to four kittens. Uh, we've got, let's see, well, there's just there's a lot of stuff related to uh, to, to gender and um, and and that's yeah. that's that's. I, I think rightfully, you know, we are at a place where we just gotta we have to know and define these things. Like that's what the whole you know like bathroom gender uh, trans kind of thing is. It's like we just don't have good definitions of masculine and feminine. Like mm-hmm. we go, we take our kids and uh, and we say, yeah, like. Guns and hitting and dirt is guy is masculine, and then feminine is dolls and playing, you know, like like role playing and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, and yeah, I think we just we just kind of need a better definition, like like a better yeah, like you know what your gender is, and then how masculine or feminine, or I don't know what the different levels would be. I know there's a all whole complicated system now with uh you know being inclusive to lgbtq like stuff so it's like it it's yeah it's out there but it's like i don't know i don't think i think we can confuse our kids or we can equip our kids uh and i'm not sure what that like is you know but i I think we could have a a better definition uh about masculine and femininity that's not just like boy girl necessarily but I, you know, I don't want to present right. it in like a. It's like, oh, you're in this weird purgatory of gender until you decide. Uh, I, I think it would be nice to like speak identity into kids, but not. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know what that. I, I, but I think like a, a, a more robust understanding of the the moving parts would be very helpful. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's the question. It's like. It's the big question, and I guess it is, yeah, because we moved from, like, like, moved from our work being an obvious um, separation of masculine femininity, like feminine, like it was very obvious. Like, there's like a split, you know. It's like, it's like who can lift and move more logs, <laughs> and, and like who's better at taking, you know, care of kids in the log cabin. It's like that's really clear. But now that it is more, like mental more service-based like it's hard to see a difference now we you know, we're revisiting it as a species i guess 
culture at least. Yeah, I think that was well put and framed delicately in a way that a lot of times these conversations are not, you know, allowing that it's that it's it's not always, you know, biologically speaking even it's not always such a clear-cut binary mm-hmm. thing, but that in the majority of cases a parent's responsibility is to, you know, engender their child just in the original sense of the word just meaning, you know, to bring into existence and to to help develop but um yeah, well still as a somehow as a as a society or as in in communities figuring out uh, ways to do that in a way where it doesn't result in scapegoating of the true cases where someone uh, you know does not have a, a, a clear identity mm-hmm. um, I've always wondered if this like what the the archaic you know we don't use the word eunuch really anymore yeah and mm-hmm. but I feel like mm-hmm. that used to be a category that has existed and it's even you know it's, it's in the Bible I think Jesus talks about some people who make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven or you know some people are born eunuchs um, yeah. just in a case where where someone's you know genitals don't so clearly define their identity um, uh, but biology says the size of the gamete <laughs> so if you produce eggs you're female right. if you produce sperm you're a man hmm. it has to do with the the fleshy part interesting yeah. okay <laughs> or what you do or but what, this doesn't right. come up in the debate or what your preference no. is yeah 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 what you're attracted to or not attracted to like yeah yeah well we may be getting separate things I, I i don't know that we're getting too far afield of our original point which was mm-hmm. that a, a soul in in a piece of writing and in our case a video essay a shortcuts episode about the Incredibles. We're trying to speak to something in the in the current moment, and so what what kind of takeaways can we work with now in in uh, getting this outline hammered out so that we can have a, an episode ready by the well well in advance of the release date of the Incredibles on June June fifteenth. Well, I think the. Yeah, the the phrase that kind of lit it on fire was frustrated masculinity. I think we should use that as a touchstone. And, um, yeah, so that would mean, like, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm Actually, maybe, yeah. So instead of, like, speaking from a mountain about this, like, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, let's focus on frustrated masculinity and the Incredibles and, uh, and point to, like, you know, the hints that there, there may be more on this topic in Incredibles 2. And then seed this seed this uh, video essay in places where people are talking about frustrated masculinity. I think it's a good idea. Uh, <clears throat> I think that, uh, you know, people like Jordan Peterson have... Yep, yep. He was top cap- of my list. Yeah, I don't want to say capitalized because I think that that implies some sort of selfish motive. And I think similarly... You know, we don't, we don't need to uh, have a, you know, it's, it's, it's not about just capitalizing on the moment, but actually recognizing that there is, you know, real suffering and that oftentimes it's not uh, really considered socially acceptable to speak about, you know, certain forms of suffering that, that are just as real when they come from this place of 
frustrated masculinity. And so that's an underserved market because uh, it's been it's been unpopular to talk about it. Hmm. Yeah, and yeah, a good movie like it hits a cultural question, a cultural nerve. I think if you killed has put it before, and so yeah, I think that, yeah, The Incredibles is relevant because of it. You've been listening to the Film Sommelier podcast with Caleb Brown and Ben Brown, and I am Charlie Deist, your liaison. We will continue our work and hopefully get this uh, Shortcuts episode out the door in the next, we've got uh, less than two weeks here. I think it's very doable. Let's get to it. Thanks for listening to the Film Sommelier Podcast. For more insights into your favorite films, go to thestorylocker.com.